Hey guys, this is David. We wanted to let you know about an exciting opportunity we don't want you to miss out on. We are hosting our annual Awaken Conference Labor Day weekend in Dallas, Texas. Join 4,000 other young adults from all over the country and world to be a part of seeing an awakening of the hope of the world, which is the church of Jesus in our generation. Go to theporch.live to get a ticket before they sell out. Hope to see you at Awaken 2022. Welcome to Views from the Porch, a lifestyle podcast where we have weekly conversations about some of the biggest challenges young adults face today. Our desire is to use God's word and our experience leading thousands of young adults at the porch to challenge you, push you, keep it real with you, and walk alongside you as you navigate your defining years as a young adult. For more info on the porch, visit theporch.live or follow us on social media. And with that, here's this week's episode. What's up, guys? This is David. We are back with another episode of Views from the Porch with the one and only J.D. Rogers. What up? And Mrs. Rebecca Kepto. Hello, hello. Um, what, is your, <laughs> what is your middle name again? Rebecca? Rebecca Ruth. Rebecca Ruth. That's so Ooh, biblical. It is. And John, David, and David James. We all have very <laughs> biblical names. Yeah, wow. All of us, our first and middle names are... Bible character. I know. Mm-hmm. I honestly regret not naming. I don't regret it because I love my kids' names. But uh, there is something you lose when there's not a biblical name because mm-hmm. it's culture. Yeah. You think of the impact of culture of like John and the number of Johns there are, most common name, which comes from the Bible. Anyways, like John David. I know. I know. <laughs> What's crazy is my parents weren't even Christians and he only did that because his brother's name was John and his other brother's name was David. And so he just put them together. Wow. And then little did he know my dad would become a Christian That's when I was seven. But even that reflects the pervasiveness of Christian mm-hmm. culture. Like that his parent were his parents believers? No. no yeah. far, far from it. That's crazy, mm-hmm. man. So it was John, David, and then my dad's middle name is Paul. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Man. Well, that's not what we're talking about. Guys. Before we get into whatever we're about to talk about, how's everyone doing? I'm doing I'm doing good. A lot of travel on the horizon for yeah. all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's summer, you know, just summertime, trying to get those vacation days in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're gearing up and getting ready for a weekend. So there's a lot of work behind the scenes. I know a lot of our leaders have been just working crazy hours, getting everything prepped for you guys. Yeah. I think if you're just a young adult, you don't think when you get to the porch— and you're like, oh, the porch. And it's just like, I come here and I send a chair and I worship and I listen. And then I leave and sometimes there's a party for me. Mm-hmm. You just forget that takes yeah. people and effort. And then same with the weekend. It's like, oh, I fly there and I dance and I worship and I'm and it was awesome. And then and we don't even have an awakened team. Just it's I mean, nothing mm-hmm. into the details, but yeah. We don't even have an awakened team. We are the team. And so yeah. we have the porch coming every Tuesday and we're planning a national conference. And it can just get, it's this going. is Super Bowl season. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it is upon us. Where For are you, you. Where are you going? I am going to Galveston with a group of friends. And oh, then I'm also. Beautiful this time of year. Yeah. And then, <laughs> <laughs> actually, I haven't been. I'm from Florida, as you guys know. But um, I'll take. I'll <laughs> Let's take, just say it's not the same. I'll you have never any, been to Galveston and you're going? I've never been to any Texas beach, but I'll take what I can get at this point. You've yeah. been to Galveston plenty, right? Oh, my mom lives there. Oh, yeah. Oh man, Becca! It's just, it's. Let's just say Becca from the block will have a good time. Yeah. Okay, I'm excited for yes, that. Yes, but it is not Florida. I wouldn't even think that you're. I would think you're going like to a swamp. 
almost. Oh my gosh. Okay. Right, David? When was the last time you went? Like seven years ago, probably. Okay, it's gotten much better. Oh, really? My mom lives there. The, the beaches are cleaner. Huh. It's gotten much better. And it's gotten more and more touristy. It's it's kind of changed with the times. But it, okay. hear me, it's not Florida. Yeah. As long as there's sunshine, I'm good. But all the porch girls are actually going to my hometown together right after Awaken. Like so I'm the, young, the girl team? Yeah, all yeah. the girls on That's the right. team. Tampa. All right, guys. Well, that was fun. What are we talking about? Uh, we are talking about... So last night, we covered a very... Um, just a... What's the word you would use? Controversial? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe topic. Uh, we just answered the question. We're doing a series right now called FAQ. Mm-hmm. Frequently Asked Questions in the Faith and the Church. And a lot of people ask this question, but maybe a lot of churches aren't willing to answer it. Yeah. And we tackled it last night. And it was, can you be in the LGBTQIA plus community and be a Christian. And I thought you did a phenomenal job tackling that subject, David. It is not easy. Um, And we just want to make sure that we continue to be pastoral and care for all people, especially those in that community. Um, And we want to take something a step further today. So today we're going to talk about, can you be born gay? Hmm. Because I think a lot of people, when they hear the church talk about God's design, in marriage for one man and one woman, talk about sex within marriage only, it can seem like it can be unfair because if God knitted me together in my mother's womb and I believe I'm born gay, that means that I didn't have a choice and it means that God punished me from the get-go. That but He basically created me to withhold from me and to say, everyone gets this but you and you got to deal with it and suffer from the consequences and be lonely the rest of your life. So let's just get into it. Um, can you be born gay? Yeah, I mean, like you said, JD, it's such a tender topic that anytime you approach something like this, and like you referenced last night, there is the studies, there's research, there's candidly what the Bible says, all of which are, are important and factual and true, and they should guide us and direct us, while also recognizing that when you talk about this issue, it just is, it's, it's not a political issue. If anything, it's a real personal issue for most of us. Mm-hmm. One of my college roommates, um, I remember bumping him and in, bumping into him in an airport in Houston after teaching actually at Port Houston. And I hadn't seen him in years and uh, a couple years. And we just randomly, uh, bumped into each other and I sat down and it was the first time that he said, Hey, I, I know we haven't caught up and I haven't, really wanted to catch up with anybody and I just need you to know I know you probably won't accept this but I'm gay and I need you to know that and this is the lifestyle and I have a piece about it and and it broke my heart that he felt like he had to intentionally go off the grid or not um, be willing to maintain some of the relationships with myself and our other roommates and uh, despite some of the pursuit that was there but I just say that to be he had a flawed perspective, like, man, anybody that is in your life or in my life, like all of us would want to have the biggest focus that we have for anybody is not their sexuality. It's where they are with Jesus and just them as a person and them knowing Jesus. And when we talk about subjects like this, I just know family members come to mind, siblings come to mind, people who are currently in a season of questioning that are in your life and they're struggling and wrestling with this. And and it just is so personal and I say all that to set up what we're about to share is all in the vein of just having a thoughtful, hopefully articulate conversation about what's scientifically been discovered and what hasn't and what does God's word say and 
kind of regardless of of um, whatever somebody believes, here's what the Bible says, and here's what I think we should do with it. Anything that y'all would add as just a preface to that in this conversation? Becca? No, I think for me, I just have questions that I know some of our list- listeners are going to have about saying or believing that from a young age that they've maybe been already predetermined to be interested in certain th- certain things like Barbie dolls or dressing up, things like that. So they would maybe argue that it's that's been with them their entire life. Sure. And so I would just love to hear what you would tell listeners who maybe think that from a young age they've felt that way. Yeah. You know, I, I think almost what I would start with is some of the um, research around this question. This was, it seemed like in my opinion, and it may just be my opinion, more of a lightning rod issue when Lady Gaga came out with Born This Way or especially whenever that was like 2010 or 11 or 12, Is Somebody Born This Way, um, Same Love by, oh my gosh, Macklemore. Um, it just felt like it was more of, of, of the front and center of the debate what people were having. Mm-hmm. And probably because there isn't as conclusive evidence in either direction, people let it go. But here's some of the studies that I think are relevant. And then uh, we should come back to that of how does some of the memories that we have of the things that we associated with and just our own um, stereotypes of what is male and what's female, like what, how do those inform? Because right. even those can be um, informed by society and not by God's word. But there's a few studies that I think are really relevant and some of the most referenced when it comes to the scientific studies where there was even a article that was um, released in the 90s saying, hey, we may have found the gay gene or gay marker. So I want to walk through a couple of those. One of them was in 1991 by a guy named Simon LeVay, and it was attempting to find the physiological differences that if somebody's homosexual, if we can study the brain wiring or we can study the neurological differences or we can study the genetic makeup of different people, maybe we could get to the bottom of these. So these are a few studies that attempted to do that to find like, hey, what are the consistent markers that maybe in maybe something that could give us an indication of is somebody born this way? And then I think we can get to, hey, if they are, they aren't, what God would say about it. But one of them was done in 1991 by Simon LeVay, and he went out to set and test as a neurologist, the hypothalamus, which is inside of the brain of a person that is believed to regulate sexual activity. And he took 41 cadavers or 41 people who were dead, and he noted the differences between homosexual and heterosexual males in the hypothalamus, which is the thing that regulates. And across the board, what he discovered was that in the brain of a homosexual male, the hypothalamus was smaller. Out of all the cadavers, consistently, it was smaller than the heterosexual males. And so if that's the thing that regulates sexual activity, maybe there's some relationship or link that is taking place there. And he believed this may have provided some sort of indication that this had a biological aspect for homosexuality. The problem was that all of the 19 homosexual cadavers had died from AIDS, which is a disease that attacks the neurological, the brain system. And so it wasn't clear, was this, and even he at the end of the study said this didn't actually prove anything. It wasn't clear if that disease shrunk the hypothalamus, which you would think a neurological disease like AIDS, autoimmune deficiency would. And secondly, in studying the brain chemistry, it wasn't clear how that shrinking would have affected it, specifically how that would have affected the the neurochemicals that would have made someone more likely 
And so was it a cause of the fact that all of them had died from this autoimmune deficiency and that, like any disease on cancer, if you study the cadavers or corpses of cancer patients, you're going to see, you know, differences physiologically because of the effect of the disease that they had. So it wasn't a conclusive study, which he even came out and said. There's another study done by uh, J. Michael Bailey and Richard Piller of Northwestern University and Boston University. And this one I think is a more interesting one where they studied identical fraternal and adoptive brothers who were homosexual. And they began to go, hey, if you have twins that are raised together that are identical twins, and they both, what is the likelihood that both of them would grow up and be homosexual? And so he studied that. He studied fraternal twins, which you know what fraternal just is like they're twins, but yeah, you know, different. Right. And then adoptive brothers. Hey, and, and adoptive brothers. And what he discovered was that among twins that were identical genetically, where there was homosexual uh, homosexuality in there, 52% of the twins had a same-sex orientation. And then he discovered that there was, or 52% of the time, if one of them did, then both of them did. Does that make sense? And then among fraternal twins... He discovered that 22% of the time that they did. And then among adoptive brothers that 11% of the time, if one of them did, then both of them would. So the vast minority. But among that, if, hey, one is, there's a 52% of the time, if one of them is, then both of them would be, you would think would be the most compelling argument for, hey, that seems to be like, if one of them ends up being homosexual, 52% of the time, both of them end up being homosexual among Identical twins. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only problem would be if someone is identically, genetically identical, all of their genetics are identical. And so it doesn't account for the fact that you still have a huge percentage, 40, almost 50 50, that it isn't the case that they end up being that way. So to go, hey, every gene in your body, if you're an identical twin, is identical to your twin. And there's nothing else that we can identify that would make that difference. You would go, hey, you would expect that an even higher percentage of that would be the case. So to say it's strictly nature, not nurture, I think is what a lot of these, these focus is. There may be some biological element or aspect to it, but all of the studies that have happened have been inconclusive at best. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So even in that 52%, which when you hear you're like, dude, 52% of the time of, of uh, the scenario where one of the twin brothers or sisters is gay or lesbian— the other percent, like a majority of the time that they're both going to be, if one of them is, you would think that's like, whoa, that's compelling. But when you think about it and you go, oh, they're genetically identical, which is means what it means to be an identical twin. That means every single gene in their body is identical, which means for 48% of the time, we can't see any physiological or genetic reason why you would have different sexuality. So it doesn't prove nearly as much as you would think. Y'all following me? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's that just got heady. And so when it comes to thinking through those studies and just studies in general, I think one of the reasons it lost some momentum is there just was an inability to conclusively prove there is a genetic gene characteristic reason why someone is homosexual or they choose that lifestyle. That at best, it's probably a combination of nature, nurture, predisposition, and all of those things. And so even if they did find the gene, it won't change really what the Bible says, which is where I would go next. 
but I don't know if y'all would add anything. I think the best answer scientifically, and I think why it lost so much steam was they were like, we're going to find it, we're going to find it, we're going to find it. And then after study after study, they were like, we probably will never find it. Because even the attempts that we have that we think showcase it, there's such strong evidence that no, it's not just a genetic wiring. And even the people that have been studied that do have a homosexual lifestyle, they don't have the markers that we would think they should all share these markers. So it kind of became a, whether it is or it isn't, well, we may never know. And I think as Christians, whether it is or it isn't, we still know what God's word has to say. But I'm going to stop there and y'all jump in if there's anything that you think was confusing. Well, what would you say about a person who maybe was born um, with lower testosterone or they have always been interested in, like, they talk more feminine, they have found themselves more into things of feminine nature, and they don't, it's just always been. Um, and there's, like, I forget what the word is, but it, it has something to do with your thyroid that produces, like, different levels in your body. But, like, whatever is the one that makes you more, isn't there one that makes you, like, more feminine? or Estrogen? More, more it's just all about the hormonal balances. So right. That you can either have more estrogen or uh, testosterone. Yeah, but even in, you know, so much of the transgender discussion, one of the challenges is that even men on the lower side of testosterone have significantly higher levels of testosterone than women, which is why mm-hmm. all of the sport debate and discussion becomes challenging is when you have an adolescent who goes through puberty who has so much testosterone injected into them, they're going to be, even if they begin a transition later, you know, now we're touching another subject. But point being, there's still physiological great differences. Even if JD and I have on a scale of one to 10, and this is a made up hypothetical, but he has nine and I have eight level of testosterone, you're going to have one as a female. And that's an abstract made up scenario, but it still is largely different. But if somebody said, hey, you know, I, which is, I've never heard that story. I felt like I was attracted to um, more feminine things. I've never heard a guy say, and I went and got my testosterone levels checked, and that's when I knew, you know, something was off. That could be the case, but someone saying, hey, from a young age, I have always remembered being blank. I think that I would, you know, if that's what they feel or that's what they experienced, I'm not going to argue with what they believe was their experience or believe that they were most drawn to or appreciated, it's a question really of what do you do with that? I mean, what would you say? I personally think that it's more nurtured than nature. nature, And I think that it's um, just talking to a lot of people who either claim to be homosexual or have struggled with same-sex attraction. Um, anytime you start to like trace back their story, I, I have not yet found someone who would just say, um, who's actually trying to have the conversation, that would not say like an event or a circumstance affected who they've become. So a lot of times it's either a fatherless home. Yeah, so their environment. Yeah, their environment of like, they were raised by a mom who was like, who like took them shopping and they were like best friends and yep. all this stuff. And they they had a sister and they were just raised in that environment that, developed that in them and they got more into this like their mom liked or their sister liked and they this and that and then oh what do you know because of that environment the mom had her 
so-and-so stay with them. And that guy sexually abused me when I was six. And so then I was confused because my body responded to it or whatever. And there's always something that they can trace. And that's where I think what we take out of this conversation is the spiritual warfare aspect of it that if the enemy can the enemy is looking at every single person and his desire is to take them outside of God's design because if you're walking in God's design then you're flourishing and you're intimate with him so he might he's looking for any vulnerable circumstance in your life to capitalize to further take you outside of God's will for your life so for you David, it might be you were 12 walking through your friend's dad's room and came across a Playboy. I'm not saying this is true. I'm making this up. No, it's close. But came came across a Playboy. Youth group trip. Youth group trip. Yeah. What do you know? And you come across this and now the, the demonic realm sees that and wants to capitalize. And so now what they would do is they would continue to feed that, which then grows into you wake up years later and you're like, it's always been there. I just don't know a life without this. And now I'm addicted to this. And this is a part of who I am. This is what I do. And I think that where we get lost in this is that can become just as much of your identity, a porn, a pornographer. How would you totally. say that? Is that, is yeah. that how you say that? Someone watched porn. Yeah. Yeah. You could say I'm a pornographer just as much as you could say, I'm a gay person. I'm a homosexual. And and the the way that you trace that, though, is you weren't born a pornographer. You were born sinful. You had a sin nature. And then one day you became susceptible to a circumstance that then the enemy capitalized on. And in secrecy, he said, this is who you are. And so I think a lot of times, if you really were to be honest, I think so many reasons why we celebrate coming out of the closet is because a lot of people who aren't Christians can't articulate the way they felt guilt and shame before coming out. What they really are experiencing in that moment is a freedom of walking in the light, which again comes from biblical principles. They are being fully known and then quote unquote, fully accepted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. However, the difference is, is when what they don't identify as before coming out of the closet, what they actually hated was they wished they weren't gay most of the time. Yeah. They didn't actually want to be gay and known. Or a lot of times, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. A lot of times they wouldn't they don't want to be gay and known. They want to be they want to be normal. And so what is it in a in a you know think about this like you see even so many Netflix shows today that they'll depict the storyline of the gay guy that's wrestling and he will be crying and he'll be like, I don't want this, you know, because they're even saying that's a part of gay people's journey is to not is to not be able to deny that they want to be in that design just like a person who's married and somehow a christian person is married and went back to porn they are weeping in front of their wife like i don't want this i don't know and then she gets to remind them though that's not who you are and so I could go further and further, but I'm I'm trying to just to distinguish the transfer of um I think what the enemy has done with this community is he has siloed them 
and he's now made it like something that's like this is who you are um it's like an identity thing and it's so normalized now that it's like distinguished itself that it's no longer like um if someone was a uh a thief and it's it's not like in that category anymore and so i think one of the first steps i take with someone who's struggling wondering well i've always been this way i feel born this way is going hey what else have you been born with and like neutralizing all the all the things in their life and why they happened and when they started happening and making it even again um because for whatever reason this one just feels so much more confusing so then what would you guys say to a listener who's feeling like i know that's that this is a sin and I know that this is wrong, but I genuinely feel like this is who God created me to be. I think God, when sin entered the world, God's creation, which all of us are a part of, it all just fractured. And so in the same way that if you came to me, Becca, and you said, hey, I have an affinity for like smoking pot and I, I think I was born this way. Like I just can't go a day. That's how I find relief when I'm anxious I got to smoke marijuana and and I, honestly I'm convinced that I've seen my friends when I'm around them and they smoke marijuana they just don't get the same relief like it doesn't it doesn't give them the same ability to function like it gives me the ability to function and not only do I think I was born this way I think it's a probably genetic and they can't conclusively find that but I've talked to a lot of people who are just like me who they are only able to cope with the anxiousness and th that they face through finding marijuana. And I think it's because we all kind of share that thing in common. And so this is just a part of who I am. I would lovingly come alongside of you and say, well, the Bible says whether you're that wired for that or you have a predisposition for that or not, it calls us to be sober-minded, calls us not to be slaves to anything in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I think what God is calling us to is to walk in freedom and to experience a peace that only he can provide. So I guess I'm using that illustration to say it almost becomes more clear or let's use alcohol. If somebody said, like there's been a lot of studies that have been done on the genetic traits of is somebody more likely to be an alcoholic? And there's an, honestly a lot of competing evidence on that that some people would say no, some people would say yes. There's other studies that would say people groups and ancestral history has a relationship to that, that people that were in Arctic environments where alcohol provided, this is such a random thing, but where alcohol provided an ability to stay warm have a higher tolerance level than people who are not. I don't know if any of that's true or not. I just know there's a bunch of studies that indicate that. But somebody could say, hey, look, because of my ancestral history, I didn't grow up, or my ancestors weren't in you know, Serbia. They were in um, Egypt. And so my tolerance for alcohol is not as high. Or the guy who's in Serbia is like, no, I can drink a lot because my ancestors are from Serbia and it doesn't affect me and I'm fine and I have this genetic sequence. I guess my point is we can use genetic or I was born this way to cover up for our individual personal responsibility and decision-making. That's an aspect and involved in that. I do think that temperament and wiring and environments contribute to somebody's sexual, I, I don't even like the word orientation, sexual appetite almost would be what I would say, that it contributes to that in our journey in life. And had I not been exposed to pornography or had I been exposed to a different type of pornography, 
homosexual pornography versus heterosexual, you know, that may have had some factor of shaping, but I can look back, I can examine that, I can try to, um, you know, let that give me an excuse, or I can make the decision regardless of if it did. And that's a really hard one if you're going, hey, I, I feel like this wiring is tethered to who I am to make the decision, but God is still calling me to pursue purity. He's still calling me to surrender and trust his design for sexuality. And regardless of, just like with somebody, if they said, man, hey, um, I, I have the genetic predisposition for alcoholism. And you can either um, call me and say that's wrong, or you can embrace this is who I am. And you can support, and you can pour me another glass. It just becomes clear in that incident as a brother and sister in Christ to go, I can't with integrity pour you another glass, even if you're saying you were born that way. And I recognize there's vast differences, and that's not an, at all, or I don't want to be insensitive even in making that comparison. I'm just saying, biblically speaking, when God says something is outside of the bounds of his design, and we all have a role and responsibility to be wise and make wise decisions, then we ha- and we have a responsibility and the decisions and choices that we make on whether or not I'm going to continue to feed that. And I think where it becomes dangerous is as Christians, just like it's clear, hey, it's not okay to support somebody giving in to alcoholism, even if they say, well, I think I have a genetic history. My grandfather and father was. We still wouldn't say that's, I want to encourage that. And that's as Christians why we go, genetically or not, we cannot encourage any behavior. For heterosexual, for me to sleep with someone who's not my wife, it'd be unloving if JD was like, he, he allowed me to say, I just think I was wired and evolved to sleep with more than just one woman. He would say, I don't, I don't know if you were or weren't, or it doesn't even matter. And I'm going to lovingly call you to that. And I know that sounds really harsh, but that's one of the tensions we walk in as Christians. So then if somebody is listening and they have a friend who is currently struggling with same-sex attraction, how would you guys tell them to love that person or care for them as a Christian? I mean, I think I think some of it we covered last night. Well, if they're a Christian and if they're not, I think the answer is very different. You, you want to go? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we have to stop thinking about how— So you're saying the person has same-sex attraction is a Christian struggling with it? Yes. Okay. Yeah, for them, we have to just start normalizing that struggle in terms of you love them like anyone with— a struggle. Um, every community group we have at Watermark, one of the questions you're supposed to ask each other is basically like, how did you struggle? Did you struggle well this week or did you give in? Like, it's basically, we say, how did you feed your flesh? And we don't just say that. We say, how did you feed your soul? Like, how did you, what input did you give yourself spiritually? But like, how did you feed your flesh? And that guy with that struggle or that girl with that struggle might say, I lingered on an Instagram post or I lusted after someone at the restaurant or I went out and I saw someone, I I got their number or, you know, whatever it might be. And we have to literally go, okay, well, and then let's say the person next to him says the same exact struggle, but with like in heterosexual way, the counsel to both is the same. Mm-hmm. It's, it's either, hey, what can we remove tangibly to like, get this out of your, if the eye caused you to sin, gouge it out kind of thing. But then also like, what can we surrender faithfully? What can we um, say, God, despite what I want, despite what I feel, I trust what you know is best. And that's what we had to think. I think personally, I'm like on this thing where I'm like, the sexuality conversation and the same sex attraction struggle has to become more 
educated and normalized in the church because we're only going to get more and more people coming, wanting answers and wanting help. And it has to become kind of the new pornography wave where I remember growing up to say porn from stage, you kind of like jumped in your skin because you're like, whoa, I can't believe he just said that out loud on the church stage. Yeah. Now people are like doing series on pornography. And it's so sadly because it's only become more and more normalized in culture. The church has had to become more normalized with how they, they approach it. That is happening and we are behind, I believe, as the church. We are behind in creating a space where people can come struggle and come get well and just come be treated as going, hey, this is a struggle, but I don't know. Here's the biggest like fear for me is someone gets in that community group and they're treated as it's a taboo struggle. They're treated as if, well, bro, I, because that's not my struggle, I don't really know. I'm sorry. I don't really know what to give you. And it makes men uncomfortable because that conversation isn't being like had more that it's still in the like jump in your skin. So now these guys, let's say he's in a community group of four people, there's three guys that sit in are educated and ready and mature enough. Let's say he says, let's say he confesses for the first time, I, you know, have had gay thoughts or I've this and that. And let's say these people's response was to be like, so like, have you ever been like attracted to me? That, that right there would make me go, I don't ever want to talk about this again because this is so uncomfortable. And whenever someone says, I've been looking at, you know, things on Instagram I shouldn't be, you don't say, was it on my profile? Like yeah. You don't yeah. You don't make it about you. Sure, yeah. And so that's just one example of so many ways that I think that because people, I'm so glad we are talking about it to continue to raise just awareness and just a voice, a voice of going, we want to be different. We want to be a place where people can come learn, process, struggle. I mean, I want to be a church where people can actively be living a homosexual lifestyle, but they feel the freedom to come and go, I don't know what God wants from me. Can you help me? Like, will you not shun me? Like, will you help me? And we have story after story of people at Watermark that that's been their story. And I mean, we've had porn stars come come here and say, I don't, I don't know if this is right. Cause should I keep working in this industry? So many different things. And so... Um, that's what I would say is, man, the same counsel you would give to anyone you give to them and don't treat it as taboo or like, and also acknowledge that it's a really big step for them to talk about it. Yeah. Like be proud of them, show them they're proud of them kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. And I have a flip side of that question. So if somebody's listening and they are the ones that struggle, they're a Christian, but they struggle with same sex attraction. What is the first step like next step for them after listening to this podcast, if they haven't shared it with anybody already. I think, I think what he just said is, is that just like it is for anybody who's struggling right now with pornography or struggling with like crossing boundaries with your boyfriend or girlfriend to bring it into the light. James 5, 16 says, when we do that, we experience healing. And one thing I've been thinking about a lot, I know we're going a little bit long, but hopefully this is helpful is the marketing or messaging of what I would say culture, which is underneath the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, as it relates to this issue is so strong and is, is so effective. And here's what I mean by that. And here's, and I think there's ways which the church is responsible and then there's ways it's just sin or it's just the effectiveness of, of Satan. The tethering together of lesbian, gay, bisexual, 
and transgender and grouping that and making people think, hey, if you are in any of those categories, your connection to this group is stronger than your connection to a brother or sister in Christ, which is just not true. There's nothing that because someone is a woman and likes to has a sexual orientation of attraction to another woman that makes her if she's a follower of Jesus, she has a stronger connection to me or to you or to someone who doesn't share her sexuality than she does to a guy who doesn't share her faith that sleeps with men of the same sex as well. Or somebody who's male or female that says, I sleep with both of the sexual, I sleep with male and female. Or somebody who says, man, I'm, I'm a woman and I'm struggling with, or I, I think that I'm actually a man. In other words, there's been such a messaging that, hey, if you are in those groups, you're str- you need to stick with us. And anyone who tries to attack you is attacking you fundamentally. And the truth is, just like Christ transcends racial boundaries, he transcends sexual sexuality boundaries. And our relationship with those people, regardless of their struggle and regardless of any of our struggles, is stronger through Christ and because of the cross than any other decision that we're going to make. Just like if I said, like if there was a group that came out and said, hey, carnivores and omnivores are, you know, if you're a carnivore, carnivore, if you like meat and you like to eat meat and vegetables, you need to fight together and our bond is stronger. We'd go, no, my bond is stronger even if JD's a vegetarian because we're we're going to be together for eternity. We're followers of Jesus. Like I can be, we're, we're basically blood. And tragically, I think, and this is what I mean, the church has played a role of, not facilitating and communicating, hey, no matter what your struggle is, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, and I'm going to walk alongside of you and come with you, and we're family, and we're going to be family for eternity, and so I'm going to love you no matter what, and I'm going to hope that you love me no matter what. And um, and I think one of the ways we begin to dissolve the strength of that tethering is by creating spaces where people can open up and share and receive love and um, truth and grace and help and counsel and support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. So, that's all we have time for. That's it. Um, man, hopefully that was helpful. If you have questions, email us at info at the porch. Live. If you want to go to Awaken for free, we said this on the Instagram Live, make sure to review and post and tag us or do a review on iTunes or on Spotify. Take a screenshot, send it to us in a DM. We're going to give away two free Awaken tickets to somebody who sends that in. That's all we have. We'll see you next week in another episode of Views from the Porch. Thank you for listening to Views from the Porch. For more information about the porch, follow us on social media or visit us at theporch.live. And as always, go in peace and love to serve the Lord this week.